Well, Northside family, it is good to be with you all again. Would you welcome everybody in our video venue watching on our live stream right now? Just want to say hey and welcome to them. And uh, it is good to be with you guys. Uh, I've been out the last two weekends and uh, I actually had a chance to go to a pastor's conference where about 65 of us pastors got together just to learn from one another. And uh, we, uh, we went out to, to Southern California because that's what you do in February, right? You know, you go where it's warm. And uh, if you saw, it snowed in LA this week. And I'm um, like, a bunch of us pastors were in the room going, really, God? Thanks a lot, you know, after all we've done for you, you know. It, uh, but it's so incredible time to get to, to be out there. And while we were there, my wife and I, we got a chance to go to a wedding. Uh, it is really special uh, for us. Uh, we even have a picture uh, uh, of the, the groom who got married. His name was Tyler Cocker. He's there in the middle. He actually grew up at this church, uh, grew up at Northside in the student ministry, went to Bible college, and this year helped plant a new church in Southern California. And uh, we got to be there to celebrate his wedding. And to the left of me is Matt Allman. Some of you might remember him. Uh, he was our student minister here. And uh, he is now the lead pastor of a church in San Diego. And I just think it's so cool that God is planting churches all around the world through our little church family here in New Albany. And this is the beauty of the kingdom of God is we have no idea what he wants to do in and through us. But all he's saying is this, I just want you to join me. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd like to put it in the contract. God, I will join you, especially if it means moving to San Diego, you know, and Lord, I will go suffer for Jesus there. Uh, but I love what God is doing here. Matter of fact, I might need to leave more often because 85 of you people signed up for our Sow and Love initiative over the last two weeks to say, God, we are into being your church family. God, we want to begin to serve the church. The church isn't just for us to be consumed. The church is for us to begin to live out the ways of Jesus, to love our neighbors. And if you didn't get a chance to sign up or you want some more information about what does it mean on the Sow and Love initiative, it's about ways to serve, not just here at the church, but in the community. I want to invite you to go out to the living room. Because what happens is this, you begin to experience real maturity, not just when you begin to receive the love of God, but he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your who? your neighbor, your neighbor. He goes, it's not just enough that you would love God. It's that if you really want to experience the work of God in your life, you will begin to learn how to love your neighbor as yourself. Man, I want to invite you into that conversation. Matter of fact, some of you, you're starting that conversation. We celebrated baptisms today, and in two weeks on March 9th and 10th, if you've been thinking about being baptized, as we wrap up this Rooted series that weekend, we're going to have a baptism weekend. And if you're thinking about that, if you've got questions about that, you want to talk about that, I want to encourage you to fill out your Connect card, drop it on the way off. You know, we'll, we'll follow up. But we got baptism classes coming up for that weekend. I just want to celebrate with you all. We already have 26 people signed up for those classes. Man, it's so cool that we're just seeing God saying, I'm drawing more and more people to myself. And I love being a part of a church that you guys are hungry for the things of God. And so today we're going to talk about money. <laughs> no applause? Okay, you know. Because let's be honest, man, when we talk about money in church, there's just an icky feeling that comes with it, man. 
It's like, all right, what are you going to tell me? How much am I supposed to give now? You know, and we see that on the TV preachers, right? You know, we, yeah, I, I've dabbed this handkerchief on my forehead. Now send me $49.95, you know, and you will receive the new blessings from the Lord. And we see that and we go, oh, about that church is just about money. And, and it, it, just, it just feels kind of icky about all this stuff. And so we're going to talk about God's view of money. And if you don't have a rooted workbook, I'm going to invite you to go out to the resource center, pick that up. It's incredible things. It'll go even deeper than what I'm talking about today. But before we talk about God's view of money, I just want to take a second to talk about our view of money. How how I view money, how you view money. I began to do a little bit of research because money is a sensitive, it's a personal topic for all of us. This is what I began to find in, in my research. Did you know that the number one cause, not the only cause of divorce, but the number one cause of divorce is guess what? Money. And did you know that the number one cause of stress, single, married, divorce, doesn't matter your marital status, the number one cause of stress in people's life, guess what it is? Money. Do you know the number one reason that you're broke? You don't have any money, right? And I came up with that one, right? I researched these other ones, and I'm like, we're broke. you're broke because you don't have any money. The number one reason why you're broke, you don't have any money. But here's the deal. Money is actually spiritual. The more you begin to study God's word, and actually the more you study just Jesus' teaching, what is interesting, I found this out. You know what the number one thing Jesus talked about? Money. And what's also interesting is this. Every time he talked about money, he never asked for it for himself. See, the problem is a lot of times in church, the reason why money is icky is because every time it gets brought up in church, it's like, now give, 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 give. And actually, Jesus talked a little bit different about money. And so I want him to speak to us today. I don't want to speak. I want him to speak. Matter of fact, he says this in the middle of his big manifesto. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, I want to invite you to go read in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus lays out his manifesto. What does it look like to be a follower of him? And listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, tucked right there in the middle of it all. He says one of the biggest statements. Listen to what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other because you can't serve both God and Satan. Wait a second, that's not what he said. Money. He says you can't serve both God and money. And matter of fact, what's fascinating is in the scriptures, money is capitalized because it's this personal pronoun that is this word mammon, That doesn't just mean money, it means all of our stuff, everything, not just financial, but everything. Because let's be honest, some of you in this room, you're not in love with money. You're like, money doesn't drive me. Money, you know, incentivize me with money, that that doesn't increase any passion. That's not your motivation. For some of us in this room, what is most meaningful to us is not our money, but it might be what is in your garage. And you're like, oh, Or for some of you, what means so much, it's a boat or it's a lake house. And there's nothing wrong with it, having one of those things. Jesus just says this, you can't serve God and your boat. Doesn't mean you can't have a boat. He's just saying, but if you serve that more than me, you got to understand, then you're not serving God. Whoa, man, he goes right to it. Because here's the thing, money is spiritual. 
The other thing is this. Money, it makes us funny, doesn't it? Man, money starts making things. You start, you put money involved, man, and it just it starts changing the game, starts changing how we act, makes us a little bit, act a little bit different. Matter of fact, you can go Google this. I found this out. There was a survey in the early 90s called The Day America Told the Truth. Interesting survey. And here's what they surveyed. It wasn't a Christian survey. They surveyed a bunch of people, and this is what they asked. What would you do for $10 million? That was the survey. And what they did is they gave them a bunch of list of different questions and said, circle what you would do for $10 million. You know what the leading 25% out of everybody of the survey, you know what the leading thing people said they would do for $10 million? Abandon their family. For $10 million, I'll leave my spouse. I'll leave my kids. You want me to go start over? Yeah. Some of you on the way to church, you're like, if you would have given me $10 million this morning, right, my kid wouldn't have made it to kid care this morning, to kid's side, right? The day America told the truth, nobody has that idea that for $10 million they'd abandon the family until money comes into the picture. Number two, 23% of everybody on the survey said this, that they would prostitute themselves for a week or more for $10 million. Fine. People want to take advantage of me for a week, whatever, fine. 16% said this, I will give up my citizenship for $10 million. Some of you are ready to give it up now. You know, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm out of here, man. You're telling me you're going to give me $10 million to move to Jamaica? Yeah, man. You know, like, I'm in, right? Let's go. Let's go. Now, that's my dream, right? You're like, let's get out of here. This is where it got a little bit darker as the questions kept going and people start, kept answering honestly the day America told the truth. 10% out of this survey said this, they would withhold evidence of a murder case. That if they said, if anybody knows anything about this murder, please say it. And they said, if I had $10 million, that would be enough to hush me up. And 7% of people on this survey said they would actually murder someone for $10 million. The day America told the truth. Money makes us funny, doesn't it? See, a lot of times this is our problem. We don't think Jesus has anything to say to us about our money, but actually a lot of people ask Jesus about money. And he has something to say to us today. Matter of fact, this man came up to Jesus in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. And, or it will be up on the screen. You can follow along. And it says this in the beginning of Luke chapter 12 that thousands of people started circling around Jesus. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to learn his ways. And he begins to teach to them. And they begin to listen. And then in verse 13, as all of this big crowd has come around Jesus, listen what it says in verse 13. It said, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, let me give you a little cultural context here. Here's how the family structure would happen the oldest brother would get two thirds of the inheritance, and then the rest of the siblings would get everything else. And here was why you never really moved away from your family, you stuck together, you farmed. That was the only way you lived. If you didn't farm food, you didn't eat. So the family unit stayed together, and the responsibility of the oldest brother was to continue to lead the family. So they would always get more than everybody else. And so this younger brother comes up, and he says, Teacher, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, everybody knows that's not the way it's supposed to work, but this kid doesn't care. He goes, Jesus, I want more of the money. Isn't it interesting that we can acknowledge Jesus and still want money more than him? 
He calls Jesus teacher. He doesn't go, hey, guy. He calls Jesus teacher. Teacher. Now, let me tell you what I really want. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Don't you love that sometimes Jesus won't answer our questions? He's like, uh-huh, I hear you. Nope. I love this about Jesus. Man, who, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, catch this word. He's not saying this to the man. He's now saying this to the thousands of people around. He's saying this to you today. He's saying this to me today. Listen to what he's saying. He says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. Isn't it amazing? Jesus still won't answer the man's request. Tell my brother to give me money. Jesus, watch out. Be on your guard. You better have your head on a swivel. You better be looking. You better be looking at this going, be on guard. Greed is going to try to devour you. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in his abundance of his possessions. Man, I wish scripture would speak to today. You know, it just is so out of date because none of us, none of us worship stuff, do we? None of us are jealous of people on Instagram, are we? None of us are greedy. Yeah, isn't it funny? You've never met a greedy person before? N- none of us say that, do we? None of us go, hi, my name's Nate. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm greedy. <laughs> no, a lot of times this is what we say about others or, or ourselves. We say stuff like this. Oh, yeah, Nate, he's frugal. Right? We have a code word, don't we? Oh, they're, they're, they're frugal. They're a, they're a planner. Now, there's nothing wrong about planning for the future, having an emergency account. I have an emergency account. Man, water heater breaks. Man, I need to be ready. Like, it's not wise to spend all your money. It's not wrong to save. The only problem is this. A lot of times, greed is always unseen. When this man came and asked this request of Jesus, he did not know how much greed was in his. Teacher, tell him to give me money. We don't even see it a lot of times. And here's, here's the problem with this. Here's what greed does to us. Greed begins to make us value possessions more than people. It begins to worship things more than people. It begins to actually, when we begin to follow greed and worship all this stuff, it actually begins to take peace from our lives and peace from others. Anybody ever have someone die in their family and a fight broke out in your family over the will? Oh, I heard enough rumbling in here. Okay. Might need to take a moment and pray for everybody, right? Here's what happens. This is what's happening right now. This is one of the saddest things I've seen being a pastor is when this happens and things go sideways and families start fighting and people come to a meeting, families after grandma dies and they sit down and this is the first thing some family member says is this, I want her house. And you go, oh, you didn't love grandma. You loved her house. Oh, you didn't love dad. You loved his money. And we say stuff like this. I never saw that side of them before. 
I didn't know that was in them. Watch out. Be on your guard. It's coming after you. Greed is going to come there. It is going to be so easy, Jesus says, to begin to define your life by the possessions you have. You better watch out. You better look after it. You better not come after that. I'm telling you because he says a man's life doesn't consist about the abundance of his possessions. And here's what he's saying is this. If you want to write this down, this has helped me so much because he's not saying money is the root of all evil. What does scripture say? It doesn't say money's the root of all evil. What does it say? The what is? The love of money is the root of all evil. When you build your life on that, when that is your identity, and this is what I've come to find out about money, is this, money is a means. It was never intended to be our master. Because it can't satisfy, ultimately, can it? Because once you get some, is it ever enough? No. No. And Jesus says, man, watch out. Your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. And then listen what he says. I love it. Jesus, again, not answering the man's request. I love it. This is why we got to follow him. This is why we got to follow him. He says this in verse 16. And he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He starts telling this story. He goes, there was this rich guy. He was a farmer. And he said, and now it produces a good crop. So this rich guy has got even richer. And so he said, this rich guy thought to himself, well, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Anybody ever been there? I got so much money. God, I can't fit it all in my garage. Anybody ever been there? Okay, me neither, you know, and, uh, Man, what should I do? I have no place to store all my crops. I'm so rich. Then he said, Jesus says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, many, many years. So take life easy. Eat. Some filet. It's in the Greek, right? Just keep looking in there. And drink and be merry. Boy, it's like Jesus is speaking to the American dream, isn't he? Uh oh, how is the Bible still relevant 2,000 years later? Imagine that. But God said to him, check this out, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. I read that story this week and I went, wow. I began just to even thinking about myself. Now that i got three kids, I'm thinking about how much I'm trying to save for college and this and that. And I'm worried about, you know, what about the future and retirement and all these things. And I began to identify with this guy because I'm going, oh, man, wouldn't it be so nice to not have to worry about money anymore? And, and we're always worried about money. And this guy hits it big. He has all this wealth now. He has all this stuff. And did you hear the me, me, me language? What shall I do? Here's what I said to myself. These are, this is my grain and my barns and my goods. And here's what I do. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to set it up. And then at his retirement party, he throws a big party. And before he can even show up to his party, what happens? He dies. 
I began to put myself in this story and I went, what if I lived that way? What if I lived not to serve my family, not to serve God, not to serve my community, not to bring hope to this world, but man, all I lived for was myself and all I stored stuff up was myself. And man, I just built bigger barns and bigger bank accounts and that's all I did and bigger houses and bigger this and I just, bigger, 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 bigger. Everything was just bigger and that's all I stored up and that's all I stored up and then right there on my retirement day, I died. And I just began to put myself in this story and you know what the word that just kept coming to my mind over and over again is this simple word about how I would feel. Regret. You see what Jesus is getting at here? He's going, the reason why I'm talking about money is not just so I can get something for you. He's going, the reason why I'm talking about money is because I don't want you to regret your life. Because your life is not found in the abundance of your possessions. That's not the way it's after. That's not the way it goes. He even, this is what I begin to learn, and you're going to learn this in your rooted workbook this week. I, I want to encourage you to pick one up. Man, this is such good learning this week, but this is what Jesus is trying to teach us here is simply this idea. You want to write this down if you're taking notes is this, is that we are managers, not owners of what God has given us. Everything you and I have, we don't owe. You're like, yes, I do. I paid that off. God goes, no. No, I own that. I've entrusted it to you to manage. Some of you, you're a manager of a, of a branch, like a bank branch or all this other stuff, or you're a manager, you're a head of a department, and how you manage your team is always like this. You're like, no, I'm a manager, and you have this word, accountability. I am always accountable to the owner. I am always accountable to my boss. I, I better lead this in a way that my boss, I mean, I am responsible responsible for this. Here's what God's saying to you and I today. If you have a lot of possessions, if you have a lot of wealth, you don't need to feel guilty about it. The question that you and I need to ask ourselves is this, do you feel responsible for what you have or do you feel like you just own it? This is mine. See, this is what Jesus is getting at. This guy had a bunch of stuff. Wasn't pro There's no problem if you have a bumper crop. Great. You guys made some investments into, you know, stocks, all this other stuff, or your business exploded. Nothing wrong with your business exploding. That's awesome. That means you're a great leader. But what are you doing with what God has given you? There's a book out at the Resource Center. It's one of my favorite books. I'll keep it with me through my whole life here. As long as I get to be alive and a Christian, I'm going to read this probably every other year. Uh, there's a book out there for sale called Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. It's one of my favorite books. And it deals with all these different issues in our heart. And one of the chapters is on greed. And he talks about what greed does and how it seeps in such good wisdom. And he says this quote in that chapter. And I went, man, I've never heard it put this way. But listen what he says. He said, he asked this question. He said, when we don't have enough, we always wonder why. Maybe you're there right now and you don't have enough. And you're going, God, why don't I have enough? I'm like, I've been there. I've been there, God, why, why, why do I not have enough? Why, why are we in this position? And then he says this quote right after that. He said, why don't we wonder why when we do have enough? And that convicted me because I'll tell you right now, I've never thought that. God has always provided, and then this is my thing. God, thanks for providing. Could you maybe give me more next time? Because, I mean, you, you've done really good so far, God. Way to go. I'd, I'd allow you to bless me a little bit more if you want, you know. And Stanley said, why is it that we never ask God, why have you given me what you've given me? 
What a different way to look at the resources God's given. God, why have you given me this? What do you, what do you want me to do with this? Because you and I, we're just managers. Because at the end of the day, that's what he tells about this man. He goes, that guy, bumper crop, rich, has all this other stuff, and he dies, and guess what? Somebody else is getting it. Everything you and I own, guess what's going to happen when we die? You don't get to take it. Somebody else is getting what you and I have. So what do we do about that? Or how do we begin to break and how do we become free of this greed? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 22. He begins to lay this way forward for us. He's going, I don't want you to regret the way you live your life. I want you to live a life that's so full, that is so meaningful, that you enjoy so much because it's of me, that you're not a slave to your stuff. You're not a slave to money. You are a servant of God. And listen to what he says in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, He's saying to you and I today, if followers of him, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? Don't worry about your life, Nate. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or, what, or your body or what you're going to wear because life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he says something strange. He says, consider the ravens. What? He says, look up to the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Did you know today you are more valuable than any animal on this earth to God? And God's going, I feed them. And guess what? You're more valuable than the birds. You mean more to me than the birds of the air. I take care of them, and guess what? I am your father, I am your creator, and I am here to take care. Uh, quit worrying and let me take care of you. And he goes on to say this, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Part of our problem today, the apps that we have on our phone are great. The only problem is the notifications. For some of you, you have stock apps that let you know every time you lose money. Today, you've lost $1,000. Tomorrow, you've got 200 and you know, you know, And you're like, boy, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Can I encourage you? Maybe turn off your notifications. Because sometimes your notification is just ensuing worry. It's captured your heart. All you do is worry. You go, oh, I don't worship money. I just worry about it all the day. That's just as bad as worshiping money. Who of you? By worrying can add a single hour to his life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? See, God's getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus is going, it's not that you're just going after money, it's that you're so worried. He goes on to say this in verse 27, Consider how the lilies grow, the flowers of the field. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And then I love Jesus' honesty. This is what he's telling me. Oh, you of little faith, Nate. Oh, you of little... You know, you know what he's telling us? When he says, consider the ravens and consider the lilies, you're going, what, what are you talking about? Here's what he's talking about. He's going, every time you worry, it needs to be a notification to worship God. Every time you're worried, it's a reminder for you to worship 
God. Quit looking down so much and being so worried about the checkbook. Doesn't mean that you don't balance. Doesn't mean that you don't plan. But he says this, are you obsessing about the bottom line? Are you obsessing about the creator? When he says, consider the ravens, what he's saying is this, begin to look up more to God than you're looking down at your possessions. Begin to look at the beauty of the fields that I've created. I feed the birds. I will take care of you. You're worrying about all this stuff, and none of it is adding any. But actually, it's taking years off your life because all you're doing is worrying about your life. And I don't want you to regret your life. And I go, God, thank you. Thank you for guaranteeing that you're going to take care of me and calling me to worship you when I find myself worried about my finances. But then he goes on to say this to him. He says, and don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them, and he goes on to say this, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. As soon as that rich man got richer, all he could do is say is this, here's what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to do this and I'm going to build all this. Ah! And he goes, whoa, here's what we need to do. Instead of as soon as God's blessed us, blessing ourselves, he says this, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. You want to write that down, man, it is about worshiping God, and it's not just about continuing to worship. It is about seeking God's kingdom first more than our own because this is what he says. He says, when you seek his kingdom, all these things will be given to you as well. God says, quit worrying and quit focusing just on your kingdom, but to seek after me, to come after me. And then he goes on to say this. I love it. And don't be afraid, little flock. Don't you love Jesus' humor here? Like he's just kind of patting us on the head. Oh, I know you're so afraid. I love that. Oh, little flock. You're so cute. I know you're so worried about all this. Don't be afraid, little flock. Because check this out. For your father has been pleased to give you. The kingdom. Do you realize you have a father that wants to give you his kingdom? He's not asking you to earn his kingdom. He's not asking you to do some time before he blesses you. He goes, no, when you receive me, when we saw those baptisms today, when people start placing their faith in him, what he's saying is this, I don't want you just to become a Christian. I want you to begin to seek my kingdom. I have things for you. I am pleased to give you the kingdom. I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will take care of you. I will give you my kingdom. And he says this, Oh, don't be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And he says this, so sell your possessions and give to the poor. He goes, quit making your life all about you. Begin to be generous. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You won't regret it when you begin to live and give the ways of God. And I feel like he finally answers the man who asked him the question in verse 34. And it's not what the man asked, and it might not be what you're asking, but listen what he says. For where your treasure is, there what? Your heart will be. Lord, tell him to give me the inheritance. I hear you. But where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Jesus says a very distinct thing. He says, man, sell possessions that you have and give to the poor. Don't just make life about you. Begin to give away what you have. This is why, this is one of the challenges with this. You, you find this all throughout the Old Testament. It's called being a percentage giver. God would ask Israel, would ask his people to say, I want you to, it's called a tithe. It was 10% and you would give it back to God. And it's not because God was broke, but here's what God knows about possessions. If you're not careful, your possessions will what? They're going to possess you. And you won't own your possessions. Your possessions are going to own you. And God goes, Israel, all throughout the Old Testament, he goes, here's why I want you to give 10% back to me. He goes, not because I'm broke. God's going, I don't need it. I already own it. But I'm asking you to give back, and I'm asking you to make your life not about you, but so that you won't regret your life. Maybe for you today, I know sometimes when we hear that word 10% in a church, you go, Nate, you don't understand my situation. I can't give 10% right now. I mean, that's not even a possibility. Hey, 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 I understand. I understand. Sometimes we make bad financial decisions. There's a lot of stuff going on. Here's what I do know is this. The biggest challenge for all of us in giving back to God is simply this. It's moving from nothing to something. And the way especially a lot of men are wired is this. If we can't give 10%, we're not going to give it all. For some of us, myself, if I can't run a half marathon, I'm not going to run it at all. You know, it's just the, that is the Nate Ross standard. It's the Nate Ross excuse is what it is, right? If I can't do it 100%, I don't do it at all. Let me just encourage you. You might not be able to start at 10% giving back to God. He loves you. He wants to give the kingdom to you. Maybe you start by setting a percentage goal of just 2%. God, I'm just going to start small. And what he's, what, this is what's going to happen. As you begin to step into his plan, you're going to watch him provide for you along the way. And it might not be all that you want, but it will be all that you need. And not just giving. Here's what I, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Jesus gave this guy a heart check. And we hear about state of the unions in our country. This is what I want you to do this week. I want you to have a state of the heart meeting. There's nothing worse than setting down and really looking at our finances, is there? We're like, oh my goodness, how much coffee have I bought? How many times have I hit Qdoba this month, <laughs> you know? But when we sit down and we start looking at facts and figures, we start going, what am I doing? And I want us just this week to sit down and have a state of the heart to begin to look at our finances and to go, what are we doing? How are we spending? What is this? Because here's what happens. It's not just looking at our finances. A state of the heart means we look at our heart first. And can I just be honest with you for a second? Money doesn't drive me. Money is not an incentive to me. You know what drives me in an unhealthy way? A fear of failure. A fear of not having enough. You know what will keep me holding on to my possessions more than Jesus? A fear that I won't have any possessions. And we don't understand that that is just as unhealthy as being obsessed with our possessions. See, it's a balance. And I, this my own heart. I want to challenge you to do this. And so I did this with us as a church. I did a state of the heart as the church. And I wanted to see where we are in our giving. 
And so I just sat down and said, God, are we a generous church? Is our, is our, where our treasure is, is our heart there? Where, where is our heart? Where are we at? And, uh, and so I, I just want to share a couple things with you. Last year, 2018, these, these things were so cool because these are things that you guys are stepping in with God. In 2018, we saw 598, not just individuals, this, re, this includes families, kids, all this other stuff. So this really represents over 1,000 people total. We saw 598 people break free of greed and start giving back to God last year, man. This was so cool. You can encourage, man, this, and it, it's going, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was $5 or 500. We're going, people are taking a step to say, no, no, no. Greed isn't going to define me. My possessions aren't going to define me. God, I am going to live for you. I'm not going to be mastered by this mammon stuff and all this other stuff. And, and I'll tell you, uh, planning for the budget for the church freaks me out the most. Because again, that fear really comes out of me because then this is what keeps playing in my heart. God, what if you don't provide? What if you don't provide enough? And we plan and we pray. This is why we have leadership. This is why I'm not the only leader here. This is why we have a team of leaders and we're praying, planning, we're praying. And in 2017, this was our budget. You understand why I have a lot of fear? God, what if you don't, what if you don't do this? What does that mean for families? God, oh, oh, Lord, oh, and I'm freaking out. And he's like, would you consider the ravens? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. This is how much you guys gave in 2017. $700,000 beyond weekly need. That's why I felt Jesus like in our elders meeting. Oh, you little flock. And then this is what we do. We see God provide once, but then this is exactly what we do, especially when you're like me and you're afraid that you won't have anything. You go, yeah, he did it once, but he probably won't do it again. That's how we live, isn't it? God blesses us and you go, well, that was one time. He's not going to do it again. So we, we planned and we prayed. See, one of the things that we do here is whatever comes in the year before, we, we never make that number our budget for the next year. We just don't think that's wise. We go, we need to build margin into our life. We believe there's opportunities for generosity and all this other stuff that comes up. And we just, we just don't think it's wise to always spend that. And, and so we planned and we prayed. What's our vision? This was our vision for 2018. And I'm going, oh, God. And this is how much you guys gave. Seven minutes, 800, 800, you know, and we're just going... God is slowly taking my fingers off the fear of not having enough. And it doesn't mean that the number just always needs to keep going up and all this other stuff. It's not if you give, he'll make you a millionaire, and that's nowhere in Scripture. But Jesus is saying this to you and I today. Will you worship me more than worrying about your life? Because when you do, you'll find that I'll provide. And will you seek me and my kingdom more than just building bigger barns for yourself? And will you give and be mindful of those who have nothing in this world instead of just consuming everything for yourself? Because your father 
values you more than the birds of the air and is delighted to give you the kingdom. Let's pray today. Father, thank you. God, we sometimes live in such a world that we have to earn everything, and it is so hard for us to receive a gift from anybody, especially you. Grace sometimes, God, is so hard for us to understand that you would want to save jacked up people like us, but you do. And Father, just in this moment, if we can all be honest with you, Father, we're either afraid that we won't have enough or, God, we are consumed with more than we need. And so today, Father, I ask that you would begin to peel our fingers back and to begin to allow you to lead and to own our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you would leave heaven to come after us so that we would not regret our lives. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. May you be loved this week, Northside. Love you guys.